Open your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. You know, we often say there are two kinds of people in the world. And, you know, maybe those are dog people and cat people. Or maybe there are people who have organized desks or people who have crazy all-over-the-place offices. There are two types of people, people from Texas and normal people. And Paul also has his own two types of people. In the book of Galatians, he lays out this framework of these two groups of people, people who are led by the flesh and people who are led by the spirit. But he calls them lots of different things. People who are under law and people who are under grace. People who are in slavery, people who are free. And he uses a lot of words to describe these two groups. And so tonight, we're going to look at these two groups, the spirit and the flesh. Uh, And I get these words from the famous uh, deeds of the flesh and fruit of the spirit in the end of chapter five here. And we're going to be asking a few questions of it. What is the difference between the spirit and the flesh? What distinguishes these two groups? But also we're going to ask some questions of motivation. You know, What is it about fleshly people that makes them stagnant? And what is it about spiritual people that makes them new and different? And I'll spoil the answer right up front. There are two types of people, and Jesus is the difference. See, just like the blind men who received sight or the lame that were healed, no one leaves a faithful encounter with Jesus unchanged. See, there are two types of people, and Jesus is the difference. Their interaction with God is the difference. And the way they view God and Jesus is going to lead then to a different way they view other people as well. And so tonight, we're going to look at these two types of people, people who are spiritual and people who are fleshly, and ask ourselves, what kind of people are we? So the first thing that we're going to see is that spiritual people trust God, where fleshly people trust themselves. This can be seen in Galatians 5. We'll start in verse 2. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, some background for these verses. In this book of Galatians, Paul is talking to the Galatians about these false teachers who have come in and they've said, look, you know, you've heard that you need this Jesus fellow, but don't you know you also need to be circumcised to be a Christian? And Paul is correcting them and saying, absolutely not. And here, he's specifically arguing that if you are going to add circumcision as a requirement for following Jesus, then what you're doing is changing the gospel to something totally different. You are rejecting Jesus. This isn't just a supplement to Jesus. It is a total rejection of who he is because Jesus claims to be the way and totally sufficient to get us to heaven. And so to say we need also circumcision is to flat out ignore what Jesus says and to 
add and create this new monstrous gospel that has this addition that is your own strength. So Paul is arguing that the people who want to add in circumcision to the gospel are in reality rejecting Jesus and focusing on their own strength and power. Contrast that with the people who are defined by the Spirit here in verse 5 and 6. It says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says, spiritual people recognize that the distinguishing factor between people who follow God and people who don't is faith working through love. It's not circumcision. It's not ethnicity. It's faith. And so the people who are following God, the people who have accepted his spirit, they recognize something about themselves, which is that they need Jesus, that there's no way to get to God except through Jesus. And so they need to accept him and everything he says and not add anything to that so that they're not relying on their own power, but they're relying on God. And this fundamental difference of trusting in God versus trusting in yourself is really going to lead through this entire process as we see the difference between fleshly and spiritual people. So the next difference is in chapter 5 in the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, deeds of the flesh, that people who are led by the spirit overcome the flesh, but people who are led by the flesh are overcome by the flesh. We see that in verse 24. He says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That through Jesus, we can crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, in verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. He says, spiritual people desire spiritual things, and fleshly people desire fleshly things. But the spiritual people have overcome these fleshly desires. How do they do that? It's by the first point there. They trusted in God. They trusted in Jesus, in the Spirit, to help them to overcome themselves, overcome their natural desires, what they would want to do on their own. Because we are changed when we interact with Jesus, and we become someone different in a way that we are able to do the things that we could not do on our own. We are able to overcome these temptations because God gives us the strength to be more than we are on our own. So I have alluded, obviously, to these deeds of flesh, fruit of the Spirit, and so now let's, let's look at those. In verse 19, it begins, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, 
that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So again, we see people who are led by the flesh, or led by their own desires, they do these things that fleshly people do. They uh, are bound by their own strength, and they keep on hurting other people. They keep on involving themselves in enmity and strife and immorality. And the people who are given strength by God to overcome these things are capable of not falling to the temptations of the flesh, but they are defined by love. And so through Jesus, through God's work in us, we are capable of becoming something new, but only when we recognize how much we need him and trust him. Uh, A professor that I had when I was at FC made the illustration like this. He says, people who are fleshly see themselves as a new house. You know, when they invited God in, they expected he'd bring a few things to personalize. You know, a rug here, a TV there, a table, but they weren't expecting anything major because after all, they're a new house. But people who are spiritual, they recognize something about themselves, that they are not like a new house. They are a house whose walls are in tatters, who's has holes in the ceiling. There's a big tomato paste stain on the floor that they just threw a carpet over, and they need heavy renovation. They need God to come in and transform them because their house, their home, their soul is not suitable the way that it is. And the thing is that fleshly people and spiritual people don't start out really at a different place. Both of them on their own are just a broken down house. But the spiritual people are the only ones who know it. And so the difference between the fleshly and the spiritual people isn't that one is better or stronger on their own, but that one of them knows that they need Jesus. See, Jesus says he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. See, he uses the word righteous here accommodatively, uh, that He's not here to help people who don't recognize that they need him. Jesus came to help people who are dependent on him, people who trusted in him. And when they lean on God, he allows them to overcome the flesh, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And and so we get this dichotomy of spirit and flesh. And these two things affect the way that we view God. And then the way that we view God and our relationship with him, our trust or lack of trust, our overcoming of the flesh or our being overcome by the flesh, these affect the way that we interact with other people. And that shouldn't surprise us. So, for example, look at these deeds of the flesh. We've got... Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Are these the kind of 
things that you want your friends to be involved in. Like, do you want to have a friend to be like, oh, yeah, he's uh, full of wrath, and uh, he loves divisions, and uh, jealousy, yep, he's all about that jealousy. Like, no, these attributes are not the kinds of things that are going to build up relationships. These are the kinds of things that tear down, except for maybe sorcery. All of these are things that are going to have negative impacts on a relationship. Contrast that with someone who is led by the Spirit. They've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, what won't love, patience, and gentleness do for any relationship? It's going to help us to be better people for one another, to build one another up. And you start to ask, why are they like that? Why is it that spiritual people can build up relationships and the fleshly people tear down relationships? Well, it's because spiritual people understand that God cares about them and that God cares about all people. And so as they are being led and transformed by God working in their lives, the interactions that they have with people are the kinds of interactions that God would want them to have. Whereas fleshly people, when they interact with other people, they're just doing whatever they want to. And that creates serious problems. It breaks down these relationships. And furthermore, this the, the view that they have on man is going to be different between flesh and spirit because spiritual people see others and they take that opportunity to restore. Whereas fleshly people see other people and they see them as an opportunity to advance themselves. Spiritual people restore others. Fleshly people use other people. Here, in chapter 6, in verses 12 and 13, it says, It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And then again in 13, Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul says that the, what these false teachers are doing is trying to get the Galatians to follow them so that they can have a reason to boast. The false teachers are trying to use the Galatians so that they have a following of some sort. We see that in chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, in 4.17, uh, the ESV says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. I don't know about you, that translation is... is a little bit confusing to me. I found it a different one. This is the New Living Translation. It says, Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you'll pay attention only to them. So what we get here is similar to what we saw in 6, 12, and 13, that these false teachers want to win these Galatians over. They want to cut the Galatians off from Paul so that they can get all the accolades that Paul was once getting. These false teachers want to heap up glory for themselves, and that's, why, that's what they're really all about. Contrast that totally with the way we see 
the people of the Spirit acting. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, while the people who are defined by the flesh use other people to build up their power, people who are defined by the Spirit, when they see others, they see them through God's eyes, and they want to help carry their burdens. They want to help restore them, because people who are defined by the Spirit, their main goal is that God be glorified on earth. And if your main goal is that God be given the glory, then it doesn't matter what people think of you. You're not interested in getting a bunch of people to say how great you are. What you want is for God's name to be praised. And so you are pleased to take an anonymous role to help other people, to build them up, so that other people, other fellow Christians who are carrying around the name of Christ can do so better and with more strength. And that is your goal. That is your interest. But these fleshly people, they're not interested in that because what the way that God is praised is not of primary interest to them. They just want people to say nice things about them. See, they trust in themselves. They think they're sufficient on their own, but they're not happy just to think that about themselves. They need other people to follow them around and tell them about it. So while spiritual people are winning disciples for Christ, fleshly people are winning disciples for themselves. Think about, for example, uh, the Pharisees who prayed in uh, the open and really uh, ostentatious ways that they you know, blew a trumpet when they gave their alms. They wanted to be seen. You've got People, fleshly people, who are defined by the way that other people see them, and that's all they care about. But spiritual people, they want to be seen by God. They want God to be glorified, and that's why spiritual people restore other people. And because of that, spiritual people are going to emphasize love, where fleshly people are going to end up forming rivalries. And that's what we'll see in chapter 5, uh, verses 13. Uh, uh, yes, 13 through 15. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So spiritual people, they care about love. That's what we saw earlier. They restore people. They bear each other's burdens. That's what spiritual people do. Fleshly people bite and devour. And that shouldn't surprise us by someone who is defined by jealousy and anger, that they are going to look at other people not as opportunities to help God's glory be shared, but as threats. And so they bite and devour, and instead of using people to glorify God, they use people to climb up that social ladder because that's what they care about. And they will cross, anyone who tries to cross them, they get angry and they will fight 
not for God, but for themselves. So spiritual people, they act in acts of love, where fleshly people bite and devour. And if you really want to know, like one great test of where you fall on this spectrum is to look at your Facebook. Say, am I the kind of person who is sharing love, or do the posts that I share on Facebook seem really angry and antagonistic? Would people describe them as loving and gentle, or would they describe them as creating dissension? And if you can look at the things you're putting out in that way, then that's going to give you a, a pretty good indication, at least in some ways, of whether your interest is really in the truth and in spreading the love of God, or whether it's just building yourself up and making other people who disagree with you look stupid. So fleshly people bite and devour. The people who are spiritual are defined by love. We see that here. We saw that also earlier in verse 6 of chapter 5, that in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So with that, we ask, who are you? Are you the kind of person that sees Jesus as the resting place for your faith, that all of this world's goods could not uh, make up for how much you love and value Jesus, and you recognize that nothing you can do on your own is going to get you to heaven, that it's only through Jesus. Are you trusting in God, or are you trusting in yourself? Do you think that on your own, you can perfect yourself? On your own, you can get to heaven? On your own, you can make a way for yourself into a good relationship with God and, and can atone for your own sins? Are you the kind of person who views yourself as a home to be tidied up? Or are you cognizant of the deep renovation that is necessary in your heart? And even as we work every day to be transformed by God, to be working with him, that we're, there's still so much work to do to make us into the people that God wants us to be. Do you know that about yourself? And do you think and pray in that way? Do you see other people as an outlet to serve, as a way to spread God's glory? Or do you see other people as a way to build up your own pride, to build up your own following so that you can take people away from Jesus and can get them to be proud of you? These are the questions we need to ask. And if you're hearing this and you're thinking, you know what? I've, I've let pride ruin my life. I've been uh, too fleshly. I haven't trusted in God to overcome myself, and it's caused a lot of pain in my life. You don't have to let that be the case anymore. Jesus is always there to help. And when you recognize your state before him, when you humble yourself before God, when you stop being this stumbling block of pride to the people around you, then God is willing to transform you and to make you what he wants you to be. And all you have to do is to, to choose to follow after him. And if you've never been baptized, then you, you need to do that too. Look, 
we don't have to continue in the flesh if it has a grip on us. It, we may be overcome, but we don't have to stay there. And if you are spiritual, if you've emptied yourself to let God fill you, then do not be led astray by the attractive fake gospel of, uh, of this, this prideful way of living, of, of the flesh. He says in 5.9 that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, don't stumble over this temptation. And also, you can't fall back into your own ways. You've got to keep growing. In 5.25, he encourages, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep going, keep growing, keep walking. We've got to let God use us to bring glory to his name. Look, letting God work in your life isn't just going to have ramifications in your spiritual connection. It's not just going to make you a better Christian. It's going to make you a better brother, a better spouse. That when you are working in the lives of people and letting God work through you, you are going to be more loving and more kind. And don't we all wish we could be more loving, more patient, more kind with the people that we care about? God is the only way. We can't just willpower ourselves into being better. We need him, and he is the answer. And the answer is one prayer away, always. And so the sermon lands in your lap. Who are you? And if you are fleshly, are you content to stay there, or will you choose to follow after Jesus? Let us pray. Our good Father, we come to you as broken souls in need of mending. Fill us and transform us. Your word tells us that we are temples of the living God. Make us into a suitable dwelling. Humble us so that we may see clearly how much we need you. Transform us with your will. Give us life by your spirit. Sanctify us and make us fit for your service. Help us to see others as you see them, and to give no place for pride in our hearts and in our interactions. In Jesus' name, amen.